When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. How you doing? You hanging in there? Good. I, I think we're doing okay in regard to off-season podcast recording. Um, I, better than most years, I would say, with the exception of uh, after the bachelor party and <laughs> there was some life stuff going on. Yeah. We were doing yeah. But I think other than that, I think we've done a pretty good job keeping up. Yeah, this has been yeah. If you're new to the show and you're uh, you're, you're kind of keeping up with us here in the off season, I would I would contend that this is better than we've done in previous years. Best best off season so far, I think. Yeah, I, I think this is good. So hopefully, going to keep that momentum rolling. Uh, and Mike, we're going to keep it rolling today with a little bit of a mailbag episode. And speaking of doing about you know better than we've almost ever done. We've gotten almost more questions, I think, for this mailbag episode than we've ever gotten before. Let's keep that momentum going. I like this. I'm this excited. I, I and like we're recording energy. on a Friday, too, Joey, which, I mean, let's keep that energy rolling. That's right. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to all. Uh, hopefully, we'll yep. get this posted on Friday, and y'all can go uh, listen to this while you're having a great weekend. How about that? Absolutely. I like that. All right, Mike, we have several questions that we got, most of most of which came from someone who, honestly, I wasn't even sure if he was still listening to the show. We hadn't heard from him in so long. Uh, but it turns out the OG number one listener to the show, Andrew Parker, does still listen to the show and has some Good. questions for us. So, so we're gonna, I was worried about that. Yeah, we're going to work through this. Uh, so, Andrew, hope, hope this finds you well. Thank you so much for, uh, for hitting us up here. Let's just start working through these, Mike. Yep, let's do it. Uh, number one, how many more years before the league dumps the division models? Kind of something we've talked about a little bit. It, we've talked a little bit about how feasible or – realistic it is i mean what's what's your take on that so right now it's really only the big 12 if i'm not mistaken that's totally divisionless is that correct yep yeah because they've only got 10 teams and yeah. so they just play like a round robin every year basically right um i think it's going to take other conferences moving to that model before the acc fully considers it now i do think joey that the ACC could potentially go to a different scheduling model first. Um, I, I do think the what we just had this past year, we had 11 games, 10 of them in conference play was great. I think you could go to like a 10 and two model at some point in the near future if you wanted to. And I like think that would be better. Games. Yeah, yeah, wow. where you have 10 conference games and, and two non-conference games. And I think what that does is it allows for more cross-division scheduling, which the ACC has not done a great job of. I mean, usually you have one permanent cross-division rival and then you play another cross-division game or Notre Dame, right? And that's mm -hmm. kind of your who you get. Um, I don't love how it's currently set up from a scheduling standpoint. Um, so I think that could change more quickly, especially if the ACC starts getting other teams, 
other than Clemson contending on a more regular basis. I mean, I don't think anybody's beating Clemson anytime soon, but I think you can get some teams here in the near future that could pose somewhat of a threat rather than have it be a two and a half to three touchdown spread in the ACC championship game. So um, I I think you can get to that point. I think we're also going to have some teams in the Atlantic division. that are going to start contending here. You know, Florida state under Norvell, I think has a really good opportunity here in the near term. Um, I I think obviously Boston college is off to a really good start. This um, I I was thinking about this the other day, Mike, I was going to ask you this. Yeah. Who is the next team to win the ACC championship? Not named Clemson. Um, I don't believe that anybody in the coastal is going to be able to not only reach Clemson, but then consistently be there regularly. Um, so how far, how far, how far out do you picture this happening? I mean, not any time in the next two or three years, personally. I mean, I... I tend to agree. Look, look at look at like let's talk about the coaster real quick, right? Like the two teams that stand out to me as teams that could potentially contend with Clemson in the next handful of years, in my opinion, would be North Carolina and Miami. But like North Carolina is going to lose Sam Howell after this season. I know they have you know some big time quarterback commits on board. Uh, but they got to be as good as Sam Howell. And then you have to be able to consistently do this long enough to make it to your next coach who then has to do as good of a job recruiting as Mac Brown has done in his short time back with the program. So I, I don't know if I'm all that confident North Carolina can get there and then consistently be the team that stays there after Mac Brown leaves. Right. Cause I think there's a defined timeline window of contention for North Carolina, depending on who they hire next Miami, I think is a better like long-term candidate in my opinion, because of the resources that they have and their ability to recruit in my, in South Florida. But the other part of that is like Miami hasn't done it consistently. They've always had the talent and they just haven't gotten it down from a coaching standpoint, whether it was with Mark Richter, Manny Diaz or anybody that came before them. So, and I don't think Virginia Tech's there anytime soon and they've fallen off. And I think they're at least a full step below those other two programs right now. So I just don't see anybody in the coastal really pushing Clemson. I think the contender is going to have to come out of the Atlantic. And the one team that's obvious to me is Florida state, because not only have they had the influx of, um, you know, capital expenditures and stuff like that. They've invested a lot in their facilities since Jimbo left, right? And they've taken steps in the right direction there. But you really only have to win one big game, right? And that's to beat Clemson. And then you get to a conference championship. And then that's like anything can happen from there. I just think that their ability to recruit the facilities that they have, and I like Norvell as a coach better than Manny Diaz if we're comparing the other Florida team from the other division. I think it's Florida State. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's it's a hard question to answer because I don't see it happening in the near term. Yeah, I, I was gonna say North Carolina, but like this year, and if it doesn't happen this year before Sam Howell leaves, it's when? probably Florida State here in two right. or three years. Right. Um, is is probably your first opportunity? <laughs> like, right. I, I don't see Miami putting it all together. I don't see you know. NC State jumping up. I don't see Virginia Tech magically putting it all together. I don't think that 
Jeff Collins is really truly building some big warship in Atlanta that will be able to do that. Like, right. You know, I, I think it's a, a dynamic, you know, really high end quarterback. Sam Howell's projected currently to be the number one quarterback off the board in the NFL draft next year. Agree. Like, you yeah. Need that level of quarterback, you know, but beyond that, I mean, you're replacing so much skill talent this year and the, and the defense is still not really fully gelled or been particularly impressive. Uh, since Mac Brown has been back in in Chapel Hill, and so right. that's where I'm I'm a little skeptical. But yeah, I mean I, th- I I think it's either it's either North Carolina this year, like everything fully comes together and you win that one game in Charlotte, or we're probably waiting a few years until Florida State is, is fully up and running. Yeah, I mean North Carolina. I think if the game were tomorrow, I think they'd be like a nine or ten point underdog. Oh, at least at least yeah. May- so, maybe like two touchdowns, something like that. May- yeah, and I might be I might be. Yeah, I I might be underrating that a little bit also. Um, The one team we didn't talk about, I mean, we touched on them briefly, Boston College. I think there's a defined ceiling with Boston College, Joey. Yeah. Uh, I like what Halfley's done so far. It's been one year, but recruiting's been good, and the team played a lot better than you and I expected them to play in year one. Um, But I do think there's a defined ceiling at BC. Uh, This was a really good team with Matt Ryan back in the early two thousands. It beat Virginia tech and they were top five team in the country. And it's called the landscape of college football is much different now. And I think Boston college because of recruiting limitations going to have a really hard time kind of breaking through that eight, eight to nine win barrier Mm -hmm. to really make it like a serious contender to overtake a team like Clemson. Yep. I just don't think they can break that ceiling. Maybe I'm proven wrong with that. I just think that Jeff Halfley, if he proves himself at Boston College long enough, he could be in line for a much bigger job if he makes that work in Chestnut Hill. He might head elsewhere. That's my thought on it. Yep, I tend to agree with that. Well, we're actually going to come back to Boston College here in just a minute. Um, back to the original question, Mike. Uh, how many years until the league dumps the division model? I, I tend to think it's I, – I kind of think it's coming. I, th- I think this will happen so- sooner than later. Yeah, I do. Um, for a couple of reasons. You know, I, I think in, in part it's, you know, I-, I don't know how tied anybody is to most of these divisional matchups. Like, everybody has their rivalries that they want to play every year. Like, obviously, Virginia Tech and Virginia want to play every year. Florida State and Miami want to play every year. Like, this, that, and the other. But, like... I don't think Georgia Tech would really care one way or the other fans wise if if every other year they weren't able to play Duke or they weren't able to play, I, I don't know, North Carolina or Virginia, you know, whatever, like who cares? Um, you know, there, there's a couple of rivalries you'd like to uh, you know retain if you can. But overall, you know, getting better rotation through the conference, I think, makes for more entertaining games and makes for uh, more interest and appeal. And the other thing I was going to add on to this is I think one of the things that we saw this year um, with the way that the ACC had to completely turn into that 10-game schedule and completely turn everything on its head and got rid of divisions altogether, plus you saw certain games getting scheduled with, you know, a few days, you know, almost hours worth of warning. You had the Coastal Carolina-BYU game scheduled like three days ahead of time. You had a couple of other games scheduled, you know, not, not much more warning than that. I think what that points to, to me, is we're starting to be able to break through a little bit of what feels like complete and total nonsense of the way that college football has always done its scheduling. You know, the whole like, oh, we got to schedule our non-conference games like 12 years ahead of time. It's like, no, you don't. 
Right. No, you don't. No, definitely not. Well, we're in the coastal division. We have to play Duke every year. No, you don't. Right. Like. Right. There's no. There's no good reason for that. So, I think for for some of those reasons, and I, and I think there's also a potential for, um, potential for expansion that we'll probably hit on in a later question here that I think could also play in that would provide a great opportunity to just like completely break up the way things are currently structured. So I do agree with, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Yeah. I don't think anything is impending anytime soon. So I disagree with you there, but I do agree that if this conference expands, Joey, I think that's totally on the table at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's probably totally fair. Um, yeah. I, yeah. H- how long will that be? I don't think it'll be in the next year or two, Yep. but within five or seven years i could see that happening yeah okay maybe yeah maybe within maybe. five seven years i think within yeah. this decade I, I could definitely see it happening and frankly would be a little bit surprised if uh with all the support it's gotten and a new commissioner and all this stuff like i i would be a little surprised if it didn't happen in the next you know if within the decade okay well i i agree with that i was thinking more immediate future so maybe yeah. you and i are more aligned than i thought all right fair, fair enough mind. fair enough moving on Moving on. Number two, who is an on-the-verge player like Boogie Basham from Wake Forest this past year for fans to watch out for? And uh, we had to ask a little bit of a clarifying question. Is like, does it have to be a defensive end or just someone primed to break out? And he says, right. I'd say it's an NFL talent that's been overlooked or is just coming into their own at this point. Any position is fine. I have three. Okay. Um, two of them are from the same team. And then I have one other guy who I think this might be cheating the question. <laughs> so... Um, let me start with this, uh, Jordan Williams. He is a transfer from Clemson. Um, he's transferring into Virginia tech. He's immediate starter on the defensive line at defensive tackle an immediate plug and play guy. Um, former four star Virginia kid, uh, from the Tidewater area, highly regarded recruit. He had Virginia tech in his top three ends up going to Clemson, uh, played a bit at Clemson. Um, he was in the rotation at defensive tackle, but obviously, you know, the way they rotate guys in and, how talented and deep that room is uh, didn't get as much playing time as he wanted. So he ends up in Blacksburg, but he's a really talented player. And I think he has an opportunity to make an immediate impact. He's got NFL size, you know, he's about six foot four and he can really move. He's an extremely athletic player, um, really gifted interior defensive lineman. So I think because of the caliber of player that he is, the fact that he was in the rotation at Clemson and the fact that he's now going to have a bigger role in Blacksburg with um, a defensive line that I think has the potential to be pretty good this year. Um, I think Jordan Williams is a prime breakout candidate. He's my number one ACC choice. And again, he's a defensive lineman in the mold of a guy like Boogie Basham. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Um, the second guy is a, <clears throat> excuse me, a wide receiver from Virginia tech. He was supposed to actually play this past fall, um, but he had a foot injury in fall camp. His name's Jaden Payute. He is a six foot four, uber athletic, four star kid from the state of Virginia at wide receiver. Um, he is expected to be full go this fall, and that is a significant upgrade to the Virginia Tech offense at wide receiver on the outside. They haven't had a six foot four playmaking wide receiver like this in a while. Um, and he provides that, and it's really going to depend on how well Virginia Tech utilizes him, and that's always the question with uh, the passing game and then sometimes with the running game. With this offense, they're kind of Jekyll and Hyde, but he is another candidate. I could see prime breakout potential, NFL body, um, really athletic kid. That's assuming his foot is fully healed and he comes back from that as people expect him to. Um, So a little bit of a caveat there. And then while we're on the injury front, 
this is the player who I think is the cop out, Joey. And, um, you know, I prepped you on this beforehand. You kind of agreed with me, mm-hmm. but I, whatever. I'm saying it anyway. Mackenzie Milton at Florida State. Yeah. Now, yep. yeah. So obviously an all American caliber player at UCF prior to his devastating the injury a few years ago. Um, he is transferred to Florida State, as everybody listening to this podcast knows. And from all indications, he looked really, really good in spring camp. If that is the case and that holds true and he's as healthy as everybody is saying he is and he's kind of back to the old Mackenzie Milton, Joey, that changes things dramatically. And he is an NFL talent and was an NFL talent before he got injured. Now, how scouts evaluate him due to the injury, I think a lot of that could be put to rest if he plays well this season. But if he gets back to anywhere near the caliber of player that he was at UCF, he is a prime breakout player that's flying a bit under the radar right now because not a lot of people are expecting a bunch out of him because of the devastating injury. But if he looked as good as people were saying he looked in the spring and he's as healthy as people are saying that he is, Joey, that changes things dramatically in the Atlantic division. That makes Florida State potentially the second best team in the Atlantic, which was not a slam dunk. You and I talked about Boston College potentially stepping up. NC State with Devin Leary potentially, which you know you may be talking about Devin Leary here in a second. Um, but that drastically changes things for Florida State if Milton is anywhere near the guy he was at UCF. So it's kind of the third guy who I think is kind of cheating the question a little bit, but I think he's primed to potentially break out if he's as healthy as they're saying he is. Yep. Um, yeah, he, he definitely could definitely change the calculus. He definitely could definitely change. Good job, Joey. Um, he could change the calculus in the Atlantic division and kind of what Florida state's ceiling is this year. If he's back, um, keep an eye on Jordan Travis too, in that quarterback room. He's, he's much more of a runner than a passer, but that was kind of when their offense was clicking the most last year was when he was in the game and gave him a different dimension that way. So keep an eye there. Um, the first guy that came to my mind, um, was a wide receiver out of Virginia. And again, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with like guys that haven't fully broken out yet because this guy led the conference in yards per reception last year. He only had 20 catches, but went for over 500 yards and five touchdowns. That was Lavelle Davis. Um, and Mike, it's probably worth noting here in, in checking on this one, uh, we found out that Lavelle Davis actually tore his ACL in spring practice here, and he is going to miss at least most of the season, if not the entire season. So that's um, that is a huge blow to that Virginia offense because he just as a freshman last year. I mean, he was a monster. He was he was a lot to handle for opposing defenses, and um, he he brings a lot of capability to that Virginia offense. So that that is a big blow to them. That that sucks to see him go down. Um, hopefully, he's able to make a full recovery. And and who knows? I mean, the way these things are going these days, he could be back by like November or you know certainly by bowl season. Um, yeah, so, timeline continues to be sped up with those injuries. Yep. So keep an eye on there. The other one that, that stuck out to me was second in the conference in yards per reception. That was Donovan Green uh, from Wake Forest. He's another wide receiver. Um, he's a guy who could really take the top off of defense. He was a four-star recruit coming in, uh, made a pretty immediate impact there on the, the Steam and Deeks offense. So keep an eye there. Um, um, yeah, you had mentioned I, Devin Leary was a name that came to mind. Um, he was a guy that in limited action last year when we saw him, he was awesome. He was awesome. He was a lot better than he was in 2019. Um, and so if he can put that together for a full season, I mean, he'll be one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the league. He'll start getting some NFL attention. Um, so keep an eye there. And then, um, I mentioned the North Carolina running back room too, when we were texting back and forth about this. 
Um, what was the guy they got from Tennessee? Was it Ty Chandler? Yeah, yeah, who just committed kind of recently. Yeah, I, I mean, he's and he's a fairly high-profile recruit, you know, so if you follow the recruiting circuit, you'll probably know his name. Um, but keep an eye on that, you know, him, and then, you know, guys like DJ Jones at North Carolina as well. I mean, that's he got limited action last year as you had a pretty – pretty nasty two-headed monster, you know, carrying the running back room for him. But, uh, you know, with with carries to be had this year, you know, someone else could break out. And then the only one, other one I'll mention, and again, I I don't know, this is probably kind of self-serving, and he probably already kind of has broken out. He's a little bit known on the national stage by now, but as Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech, um, you know, he is a pretty dynamic and special player that I don't think he's going to be in Atlanta for more than three years, you know, before he moves on to the next level. Um, he's really special and they, they need to get him more involved in that, in that offense moving forward. So, yep. We'll just toss that one out there as well. Um, so I think those are plenty of guys that are, uh, you know, those verge players that, that should be breaking out here anytime now. Um, and really I'm sure we're missing really some, but Oh yeah. Them. Yeah. And, and let us know, you know, who, who are the other verge players that we're missing that are primed for breakout years? We, we would love to know them. Um, at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter, at FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SOS. Um, there's a there's a police song there that I'm trying to reference, and I'm, I'm it's escaping me for the moment. But anyways, uh, Mike, number three, expectations out of Boston College this year. What what are you expecting? I mean, good. Good. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be like eight and four type good. I I mean. Phil Dracovic's back, another year with Halfley uh, on the defensive side, kind of moving things in a better direction there. I I mean, they far surpassed expectations, and I think we're going to find out whether that's because they caught people by surprise in a COVID year or whether or not it's like legitimate growth out of the program. Um, to be honest, this was kind of like the question we were asking about Louisville with Satterfield in year two. It was, okay, just had a great year one. Let's see what year two brings. And then Louisville was not nearly as good in year two. And it was kind of like, all right, well, this is kind of what I thought they would be in year one. Like, is there a sophomore slump here? I, I mean, there's potential, I think. But I think they'll be good. Mm-hmm. I think eight wins is doable. So it's interesting. And I, I tend to agree with you. Like, I, what I saw from them last year, I really liked. And I, I felt like they would continue building on that coming into this year. I mean, especially... Last year, with how messed up the offseason was, getting a new quarterback in there and all that, like there is so many reasons that they should not have been any good at all. And I think I had them like 15th out of 15 teams or something like that projected right. coming in. So it's encouraging to me. Now thinking they'll get a full offseason, like that'll be great. And then, you know, looking at their out-of-conference schedule, like Colgate, UMass, Temple, and Missouri, like that's at least 3-1, and one, maybe 4-0, and oh, depending on if you can beat yep. Missouri. Um, that's great. You get what Virginia tech normally in the crossover and then at Georgia tech in the crossover. That's both of those are very winnable games, you know, and then you're in yep. the Atlantic where it's Clemson and then a whole bunch of other teams that are all and any given week are pretty beatable. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the stage is set. Like it's, it's primed for them to be like a nine or 10 win team as much yeah. as, as much as that. And then Mike, I go look at Bill Connolly's SP plus projections Oh, no. Where they're projected 62nd in the country, uh, 95th on defense. And it's interesting to me. Like, yes, they get Phil Dracovic back. They get a lot back on offense. The defense, you know, 
it's kind of a returning production thing and some struggles, but I mean, they're projected pretty low, even just in the Atlantic division. Yes, I will say um, they could still be like a team that is like top 60 to 65 in the country. And with that non-conference schedule, they could still win eight games. <laughs> like, it's on they the could table. Still be, like, it's on the table. Like, they could legitimately, like, you could look at them and the record be could end up being better than they actually are. Like, that's on the table. In fact, I would say, Joey, that that's probably pretty likely. Mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. I think people will look at it and they'll, they'll be like, all right, we're not used to seeing Boston College 4-0 coming out of September. And it's like, okay, they're top 25, but, like, how good are they actually? Um, I could see that being totally on the table but anytime you have a good quarterback your team gets more hype than it may deserve at times right we see Mm -hmm. that all the time across college football i mean oklahoma last year was spencer rattler everybody want to talk about how good spencer rattler was but then you watch oklahoma play you're like this team is not nearly as good as they were last few years right um he felt that way i mean towards the end of the year they got clicking but like in the middle part of the season like october november time frame you're like man i don't know if this team is really all that good yeah. And yeah. you could turn on a Boston College game, be really impressed with Phil Dracovic, and then look at the rest of the team and be like, you know what? This team might not be that good. <laughs> That's um, yeah. And you could say that, and they could still win eight games with that non-conference schedule. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I think it'll totally depend on like how they look, obviously. But, I mean, they could just kind of look average and still go 4-0 in the non-conference. Missouri's not any good. I mean... <laughs> We talked about, like, I, I was a little bit surprised to see this. Boston College, 62nd in the country in SB+. Missouri, 58th. Yeah, that's a little surprising. Like, only four spots ahead of Boston College. Like, that's very winnable. And then, you know, again, for Temple and UMass, Temple's projected 119th and UMass 129 out of 130. Like, those are a couple of just layups as, as long as you don't screw it up. And and then, you know, you yep. one spot ahead of one, game. one spot ahead of Boston College, Florida State. Two spots yeah. behind Boston College, Wake Forest. Like, yeah. So Play both of them. <laughs> we'll see. There, there could be a little bit of a reckoning with SP Plus and, and the ACC this year where a number of these teams are, are pretty far down here. Um, I, I think Boston College has a great opportunity. As I mentioned, and I think we agree, there's probably 10 win upside there with that schedule yeah. and the way everything shakes out. But um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see. And, and like you said, I mean, the better they are, the quicker – the quicker that Jeff Halfley is probably getting job offers at even bigger jobs than this one. So, yeah. And hopefully he doesn't make the same mistake. Now I, I think Boston college is a better football program than Syracuse just in totality, but hopefully he doesn't make the same mistake Dino Babers made by turning down some of those offers and thinking he was building something at Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, he is not. No. Um, yeah, we've, we've covered that one pretty in depth. Yeah. Number four, when are y'all going to reimburse my ACC championship expenses? Uh, Andrew? Detailed receipts. I haven't seen any receipts. You got to get yep. on a... Uh, oh, crap. What's the system? What did we use in our last concur. one? Concur. We use concur, don't we? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You got to submit and concur. We need your receipts uh, with dates. And actually, I think if you read company policy, we're outside of the 30-day window where you're supposed to be submitting these. So right. you might need, to, uh, might need to talk to your manager and see if you can get an extension filed. Right. And you got to remove alcohol as well. Yeah, yeah, that's against company policy. We we don't yep. pay for that. Um, yep, I'm sure there's ways you could probably get around that, but hey, who's to say? Right. Uh, and then we had another one from Andrew Parker. I thought this was a really good question, Mike. Um, and, and I actually fiddled with this one for a while in my brain of like what to do with this. 
He asks, what exactly is the UVA offensive scheme? I think that's a great question. Yeah, it is. And I think it's changed um, under Mendenhall a little bit because Bryce Perkins was a different type of quarterback than Brendan Armstrong is. Now, they were both have you know their strengths running the football. Um, I think Bryce Perkins was the better passer than Brennan Armstrong. Um, but I think Brennan Armstrong is a better downhill runner than Bryce Perkins was. Bryce Perkins was electric in the open field, but uh, you didn't necessarily want to just run a bunch of power run type plays with Bryce Perkins like right down the middle. I know they did at times, but mm-hmm. that wasn't ideal. Um, and Perkins had some injury issues because of it. Brennan Armstrong is a little bit bigger built. Um, and he is a very good runner and he has the ability to get downhill a little bit better because he has a bigger frame. I think Virginia's offense is run first, which is funny because Wayne Tulipapa is in their backfield mm-hmm. and we've had plenty of jokes on this podcast about him averaging like two yards per carry and how bad it is outside of Perkins at the time. And now Brian Armstrong, um, I think they are a power run offense out of shotgun. Um, so however you want to characterize that spread, you know, spread to run, but I think it's more of like power running versus, you know, off tackle. I think they're running between the tackles a lot more now with Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. Those option plays. I think we saw this past year, like a lot of quarterback keepers going between the tackles. We didn't see that as much with Bryce Perkins. So I think the offense evolved in that way to fit fit the quarterback skill set. And then, the passing offense, I think, is pretty simplistic, and that's not a bad thing because I think when UVA is running the football, it just opens up naturally those passing plays. Um, I've had that criticism with Virginia Tech, too, but it doesn't really matter when they're running the ball well because it does open up those outside passing plays, even if the route tree is pretty simplistic. So um, long and short of it, I think they're a power run team out of shotgun, and I think that's primarily what they want to do. Yeah, I, I the spread to run thing was one of the things that came to mind. Um, it's interesting, you know, I was looking back the last few seasons at their run pass balance and, and kind of expecting to see, well, yeah, we they typically run the ball maybe around 55% of the time. It, dude, like on a weekly basis or on a yearly basis, like it swings back and forth a lot. Right. <laughs> they, you know, they will, they will throw the ball a whole bunch one year. They'll run the ball a whole bunch the next year, like – it seems like it's very well adaptable to the personnel and kind of to what's working, which frankly, that's probably a good, a good approach is just do what I works. I think so too. And they had more of a proven receiving core, especially in the last year of Bryce Perkins. than mm-hmm. I think they did this past year with Brian Armstrong. It was just a lot of new faces. Yeah. At yeah. receiver. Well, this past year was very, very balanced. Um, 379 passing attempts to 366 rushing attempts. I mean, Yep. Only, only a 13 play difference. That's that that was kind of the outlier as compared to the last two three years um, before that. So that's that's kind of interesting to look at it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to think of it as is a lot of running between the tackles. You know, as you mentioned, that power running game, and then throwing the ball down the field, oftentimes outside the hashes. Um, it it's using the the width of the field in the passing game a lot of times. Um, and, and so it's, I guess what I would consider, and I don't think this is actually schematically correct. Um, so somebody please correct us, um, again, on Twitter, email, whatever. Um, I tend to think of it as a run and shoot kind of thing. Again, power running spread to run. Um, but, but also leveraging the, the QB mobility piece of it. Um, it seems like this offense, even going back to this staff's days at BYU, it, it runs best and they, they really make an effort to do it with a mobile quarterback. 
Um, and, and so I think that's kind of the, the thing that will allow it to run at peak efficiency is when you have a quarterback that can be a threat in the run game, as you mentioned, Mike, use that to help open up the passing game. Yep. Fair enough. Good question. It was uh, a good question. One more good question from Andrew Parker before we have uh, questions from other folks. Uh, birds do have teeth, but don't have human teeth. Why Louisville? Okay, Joey. I have a, I have a thought on this. I think it is in a way to taunt their rivals of Kentucky. It's like, ha, we have teeth. You do not. Even our, even our bird, who is not supposed to have teeth, has teeth. You goofy meth heads of Kentucky. Ha, ha. Does that, does that work? Is that good? I'm on, I'm on board with that. Better than anything I would have come up with. Yeah, that's the best explanation I can come up with. Um, if you're a meth head, sorry. Sorry to offend you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't also, you, to, uh, you need some help. We're going to get canceled. Help. Get canceled. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's that's the best I got is taunting UK UK fans. We have teeth. Yep. You don't. So yep. deal with it. Uh, Mike, Ben Tankersley of my old stomping grounds from the rumble seat asks, <laughs> do we get any payoff for Jeff Collins' shtick? This year, there is an SCH in there, which is not how I pronounced it when we were planning before we started recording. Yep, thank God. Yes, yeah. that would have been an issue on this year podcast. Yeah, um, I don't know. You you, you should go first with this. I, fan of- I do have a couple of thoughts. Um, yep. I, I think this is a year where we are going to learn a lot about this. This Jeff Collins regime, the the coaching staff has been consistent throughout. Um, they get a, a full offseason, a full set of spring practices, a, a proper set of preseason practices, all that. Um, the roster is very quickly turning over. I think Kelly Quinlan was saying something the other day. We, our, our friend Kelly Quinlan was pointing out that there's about a 75% roster turnover at this point from what came out of the Paul Johnson era. So this is largely their guys. It is a more talented group. If you kind of put it up against a lot of the other teams in the Coastal if they're losing games, it's not a talent issue um, against a number of other coastal teams. Now, North Carolina, Miami, okay, fine, but um, but so there's that. Um, the schedule, as mentioned, is very, very tough. Um, I, I think there's a pretty hard ceiling of like seven wins in the regular season. I don't think that brutal any, schedule. Anything brutal past schedule. seven would be unbelievable. Yeah. Um, realistically, I think you could expect five or six. Um, but it, it's a team that if, if this coach coaching staff is worth its weight in salt, um, I, I think there's, there's the ability to jump up to that, you know, six or seven win platform and win a couple of games that they wouldn't have won in previous years. Yeah. It's an important year. I think year four might even be a bit more meaningful, um, depending on how that schedule pans out. This is a brutal, 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 brutal schedule. I think Georgia Tech's goal should be to make a bowl game. Um, Year three is when you guys start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, year three is when Virginia Tech went the other way with, with Fuente. Yeah. Um, you want to make a bowl game year three if you're doing a total teardown rebuild, which is what this was. Total offensive scheme change. Um, recruiting just totally different types of players, and you're recruiting under Paul Johnson. This was a total 180 from that era, and it required a couple of years to almost not even have expectations which sounds crazy as a as a fan but seriously like you couldn't even have expectations the first couple of years so year three is important it's not as important as year four because it's just an absolutely abhorrent schedule it's just uh, best of luck but i think making a bowl game 
is a significant and needed step forward for Georgia Tech. I think making a bowl game would be great, and anything beyond that, winning seven games, I think, would be a really, really good year. More than seven is heroic. You pulled off an upset somewhere. Yeah. So, I could, I could excuse not making a bowl game if, if you go like five and seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team's got to look good, though. You got to yeah. play well. I, I mean, again, we, we mentioned this on the, on the again, the preseason SP Plus projections. Georgia Tech has four of the top ten teams on their schedule here, and that doesn't include Notre Dame. They have to go to South Bend and play Notre Dame. Like, right. So there's five games right there that any if you win a single one of them, that's gravy. Like you, you can't expect to win. I, I think in any of those situations, the other seven games you got to go five and two against Northern Illinois, Kennesaw State, Pittsburgh at Duke at Virginia, home against Virginia Tech, home against Boston College. Like it's you know it's doable, but you know that's. It's just it's a tough schedule. It's a really tough schedule, um, and so I, I think sitting here in April, recording this, Georgia Tech probably wins four or five. I think that's that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I think four is probably the floor, and I think seven is probably the ceiling, and that's kind of where I'm at. Nothing would surprise me between four wins and like six or seven. Nothing yeah. would surprise me. What I will tell you is that week two game against Kennesaw state. If oh boy. That is, that is a losable game. And it you, is. A, it is a losable game. And if you lose that game, I don't think there's any coming back from it. I don't think there's any coming back from it after the Citadel loss. The first yeah. year yeah. you had the, the Syracuse blowout last year and the only game yeah. that Syracuse won, not to mention, by the way, the two previous years that Jeff Collins was a head coach at Temple, they had a loss to Villanova. Yep. They, like he has had a really terrible clunker loss every single year that he's been a head coach. You need to buck that trend now, <laughs> or you're not have- coming back from it, I swear. I have this conversation with a lot of Virginia Tech fans because Fuente has piled up far more meaningful losses than he has quality wins. There have been some good games that he's won at Tech, but he hasn't won like a massive, massive game. And he's lost to Liberty. He's lost to Old Dominion. The streak was broken against UVA. Like it's tough to come back from that. Yep. So Jeff Collins better not lose to Kansas State. You better not. You better not. Uh, Mike, let's move on. Last question we got. We got a really good email from Lee Nobody here uh, about a week and a half ago. This is it's it's a little bit lengthy here, so I'm just gonna kind of read through this. Try to try to go slowly so it makes sense as you listen to this from an audio standpoint. But um, he asks uh, the title of the email is "Should the ACC split?" And again, we were talking a little bit about divisions earlier in the episode, but um, should the ACC split? He says, "Here's the scenario." The contract negotiation for the TV rights of the mid-2020s come and go with the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 securing greater revenue for all member universities. The ACC locked into a deal until the 2030s, sees institutions bicker over the lack of investment in football programs and effort being put forward to compete at the highest level. The ACC is divided between two wings, the, quote, football first wing of Clemson, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Miami, Louisville, and the, quote, basketball first wing of the North Carolina schools, Virginia, Syracuse, Boston College, and Pitt between the two wings. I Just 
little bit of edit, editorial here. I would argue that probably Boston College and Pitt probably go on the football first wing, and Louisville might go on the basketball first wing. But, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. But anyway. but you know, neither here nor there. Semantics. The quote football first wing, motivated in part by the desire to be competitive with their in-state SEC rivalries, come to the conclusion that their fates are better tied together as a group than with the basketball first wing. Believing the media rights of the football first wing will yield a better per school revenue payout than the ACC, a more amicable divorce is arranged than the Big East AAC split. The ACC branding and conference in- infrastructure will stay with the basketball first teams, while the Orange Bowl tie-in and conference championship game contracts will leave with the football first wing. The football first wing will then take on a new conference name and branding. For discussion purposes, we'll title the Metro Conference. Okay. <laughs> The Metro Conference would likely invite West Virginia and Cincinnati to bring the conference to eight teams. Both will accept as the new conference would be appealing to fan bases and potentially upgrade revenue. If Pitt joined the Metro, then Cincinnati would likely not be picked. The result. The ACC is now UNC, Duke, Wake Forest, NC State, Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia, and Pitt. The Metro Conference, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Virginia Tech, Miami, West Virginia, and Cincinnati. The Metro might even bring a new player to the media rights negotiation in the form of Atlanta-based Turner Broadcasting and Warner Media. The Metro Conference would play a seven-game round-robin season, which would be supplemented with the now SEC Metro rivalry games. The Commonwealth Cup Virginia Tech versus UVA would join this group of rivalry games protected by state governments. (laughs) This is getting really in-depth here. Yeah. Uh, the Metro would also require an additional out-of-conference game against a team in the uh, current Power Five to in-state rivalry games. Miami, West Virginia, Cincinnati, Pitt would likely play two at-large P5 teams. Uh, these games would be filled with... Yeah. Okay, so keep going. New bowls would form or switch alignments in the transition. Notre Dame would likely end its agreements with the ACC to join the Big East in all non-football sports or reduce the number of games played against the ACC to retain Notre Dame's basketball team. If the Metro model is successful, other breakaway wings might form out of other conferences. However, it is also likely that both conferences would be ripe for poaching with the Big Ten and SEC targets outside of the old ACC's grant of rights. Uh, The Big 12 will rebound from the loss of West Virginia, inviting the geographically sensible and central time zone inhabiting Memphis. (laughs) Memphis would obviously accept. The AAC, having lost Cincinnati and Memphis, would likely only add back one team. The leading contenders would be App State, Louisiana, or even Georgia State. The power of the AAC would be hurt significantly. There may even be defections of Temple to the Big East or breakaway factions in the West. The Power Five would become a Power Six, with the ACC very much on a bottom on the bottom rung. What are your thoughts on the ACC splitting? Is everyone better served? So, a little bit of fanfic there for you, Mike. But what are what are your thoughts on this whole scenario? First of all, really well thought out. Yes. Very elaborate. Very well put together. So thank yes. you for sending this in, Lee. Yes. Um, so I think we owe you a dedicated answer here. <laughs> um, the Okay, so the Metro Conference is very similar, at least has some teams in there, similar to the old Metro Conference of the 70s and 80s for basketball. Um, so we're uh, this is kind of fashioned, in my opinion, in similar ways to what happened with the Big East and ACC in football, um, where the Big East kind of ceased to exist. The AAC formed like the football conference and then the rest of the conference in basketball. It felt like if you were a basketball power, you kind of stayed in the Big East for hoops. And then if not, you were an AAC team <laughs> for, for basketball. Um, this is kind of similar in that regard. 
Um, I think if this were to happen, then Jim, Jim Phillips as a commissioner of the ACC has done a terrible job. If this is the path it goes down, because this is assuming that the ACC fails to renegotiate an absolutely terrible network rights deal as it currently stands, which we can get into the specifics of the network rights deal in another podcast, Joey, because I think it is worth discussing and I don't have all the details in front of me. Um, but I know that the ACC is being disadvantaged in terms of the other conferences with the exception of maybe the PAC 12 <laughs> in regard to um, how their conference wide network um, is getting money to the revenue wise to the member institutions. So yeah, the PAC 12, there is a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, and I think the ACC is doing a better job than the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 is going to get out of theirs quicker than the ACC is going to get out of their own because theirs is newer. That's neither here nor there for this discussion. Um, I think that realignment is probably coming at some point. I don't know how widespread it would be in the ACC. Um I do think that there are some schools that would potentially be better served by being in the ACC. Um, like Maryland, for example, I think the move to the big 10 for Maryland has been an absolute disaster on the football side as we knew it would be <laughs> like we anticipated it would be a disaster and it has been on the basketball side. They're in the same caliber of conference in the big 10 as the ACC. I mean, they're, one and one a in, in basketball um year over year depending on what year it is uh so i think realignment's coming i think specific to this idea i think it's interesting how it's laid out with like the football schools being just kind of on their own mm -hmm. to play ball with like the sec whereas the basketball type schools um kind of go and they they figure out their own rights um that whole setup is really interesting to me i just don't It'll never, it'll never come to a point where it's that widespread, I don't think. I think the proposal is very interesting, though. It's a very different way of looking at it. It is. Um, I guess my, my initial thought is that, and my initial approach to any of this would be that I don't think it makes sense for these schools in the, in the position that they're in right now to split up. Um, I, I tend to think that the more schools that you have, you know, the more inventory you have quote unquote for TV contracts and that type of thing um, that would make your ability to negotiate more fortuitous. Um, so I, I would tend to think that you're trying to add more so than, than get rid of or, or split up that way. Um, I mean, in, in part of it too, I guess is, you know, if you've got these basketball focused schools versus football focused schools, I, I would tend to think it wouldn't mean that, the basketball schools stop playing football and the football schools stop playing basketball. Um, so I, I think that has to be considered too. I, I think kind of like what you've said, I mean, if, if this were to happen, you know, this, this would be like a fireable offense for Jim Phillips. Um, I, I, I don't tend to think that would be the thing. I think honestly, the thing that you're going to see happen pro probably sooner than later um, is I think you're going to see Jim Phillips strong arm Notre Dame into joining the conference for football. Um, I think you're going to see that happen. And the reason I think you're going to see that happen is because as mentioned by Lee early on, 
the ACC is locked into this, what seems to be a very subpar TV deal until the mid 2030s, I believe it is. Um, yep. But the, the one thing that really enables them easier than anything else to renegotiate that TV deal is if the terms change, such as the ACC adds a team um, or adds multiple teams. Um, and so I think the obvious candidate there being Notre Dame, if you get Notre Dame to join for football and now it's like, well, we've got 15 teams instead of 14. Now you've got grand ground to stand on to significantly upgrade that TV deal or maybe shorten it to where it ends more in line with where other conference TV deals end, you know, and you can renegotiate again here in six, seven, eight years. Um, you know, there's things that you can do. And so I, I think that's adding Notre Dame. And then if you really want to get to an even number, that's when then you're talking about either, you know, West Virginia, Cincinnati, um, Memphis was mentioned, you know, things like that. I, I think it would be really interesting to see who who that other team would be because, you know, with the way that this conference has been traditionally, you know, and, and the way it's been made up of its member institutions, there's pretty clearly an academic profile to a lot of these schools and programs. Yep. And, you know, West Virginia and I think Memphis and a couple of these schools are pretty far outside of that academic profile. Um, no, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, yeah, and that's another element I didn't consider. But frankly, Louisville is the same way. Like Louisville's pretty right. far outside the footprint of everybody else, too. So, you know, maybe a little bit of, of loosening up coming with, with those types of, of restrictions. But, but yeah, I, I think this is interesting. Um, and and I, I mean, it's, it's clear, like you can break this conference up into – two sides of, of schools that value, you know, football or basketball more or less. Right. Um, so I, I think it's That's, very much an interesting thing to consider and very much appreciate the, all the thought and, and effort that went into putting this question together. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why we titled our podcast the way that we have, right. I mean, yeah. the running joke has been the fact that a lot of these schools have been notoriously good at basketball and it's been considered a basketball conference. And ironically, as soon as we started this podcast, the conference got a lot better at football. So that's how the world works. <laughs> Had a Heisman winner, won a national title. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, thankfully, yeah, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that uh, reputation has kind of uh, evaporated a little bit in recent years. Thanks largely to Clemson, I would say, but yes, I would agree. But anyways, any other thoughts here on this, Mike, before we move on? I don't think so. I think we're good. Okay. Well, that was all the questions that we had for now. So thanks again to everybody for writing in. Um, great to hear from Andrew Parker. Hadn't heard from him in a while. Thank you to Ben for contributing. And again, thanks to Lee. This is a great question. Um, you know, as always, we, we'd love to get your questions. We're, the more questions that we get, the more of these mailbag episodes we can do and, and talk about all sorts of different things. So um, go ahead and be sending those in as, as they come up, and we'd love to hear from you. Yep. Uh, Mike, news-wise, uh, there was one kind of thing that came up here in the last couple of days that I think you wanted to hit on. You thought was kind of important and, and could change a little bit of the way that the uh, – a little bit of the way the conference views one of its members. Yeah, I'm going to touch on this briefly, and then we can tackle this – in larger detail later. Um, but essentially, Virginia Tech launched a $400 million athletic department fundraising campaign. It's the largest initiative for the athletic department in school history. And they announced that earlier this week. Um, this is part of a broader $1.5 billion, with a B, uh, fundraising initiative for the university um, called Boundless Impact, the campaign for Virginia Tech. And that impacts both athletics and academics. Um, SparkNotes version here is that the athletic fundraising goal as part of this campaign 
um, this one and a half billion dollar campaign for the university, the four hundred million dollar fundraising goal is now second only behind engineering at Virginia Tech, which gives you an idea of where athletics was just moved on the pedestal in Blacksburg. And a lot of people understand Virginia Tech's a good school for athletics and, and has been. Um, and they have multiple teams performing really well right now from men's and women's basketball that both just made an NCAA tournament to baseball and softball this spring who could both be hosting an NCAA regional to track and field and wrestling with top five wrestling program, really good soccer teams that consistently go to the tournament. So uh, it's a good athletics program for Virginia Tech and always has been, but this is an initiative to push more money into athletics in Blacksburg. A couple other notes, 150 million of the $400 million fundraising goal has already been raised by major donors before they even came forward to alumni. So you got a good ways there already, (laughs) Um, which is good because 250 million that's remaining is a lot of money to come up with for a alumni base that has always contributed money to the school, but maybe not as consistently as necessary for athletics as they need to. And now Virginia tech is on this full court press with Whit Babcock to say, Hey, look, we want to move from a challenger brand to a champion brand across all sports, but especially in football, the investments for football have not historically been there to the degree that they needed to as the conference evolved. That's something I've talked about on here before. $30 $30 million of the $400 million is going to football alone. Um, and this is largely going to be uh, staffing needs, Joey. So we've talked about the recruiting issues at Tech. Mm-hmm. Well, they have now uh, $2 million for student-athlete development, but they also have $5 million for quality control, $10 million for assistance, and $5 million going to recruiting positions. So $20 million um, of the $30 million dedicated for football is going for staffing infrastructure, Two million going to student athlete development, um, and then eight million for capital needs. They've just had a student athlete performance center that they put together, but they're doing renovations to the weight room, renovations to the locker room, new players lounge. So, anyway, it's more of an investment in football that is really needed. It's to put Virginia Tech on par from a staffing standpoint with some of the better schools in the conference, like Clemson. That's kind of how they're trying to push their money towards um, competing with, which is really important. Money doesn't solve all problems, but it definitely helps joey so mm-hmm. um long and short of it is this is a really good step in the right direction for tech yeah it's a big deal i mean you've talked for for years about you know the the, the level of funding going into the athletics program and the football program that you know relative to those around it and, and kind of the results that they've been getting and you know it seems like this is a pretty good step for them um it was interesting you know kind of comparing it, it the 400 million number sounds enormous um but you know a couple of buddies and i were talking about it in the the uh, Georgia Tech just got done with a three-year fundraiser, the AI 2020 fundraiser. Um, it was it was three years and about 125 million dollars. And I think, you know, the length of this fundraiser for Virginia Tech, if you kind of do an annual, you know, how many dollars per year are they trying to raise? Um, I think it's fairly fairly comparable to that. It's just you know it's a it's a longer timeline and, and overall a larger number, larger amount of money. Um, yeah, we'll be interested to see kind of what they're able to do with that. Yep. Yeah, right. it'll be, I mean, it'll be huge. It's just coming up with that money is a lot. Yep. <laughs> so um, a big push. It's more no money doubt. than I have, Mike. It's very bold. Yes. Yeah. This whole, uh, this podcasting industry, not, not that lucrative. Definitely not. You not and I would lucrative. be recording from something other than our respective bedrooms. That, that were the case. That's correct. That's correct. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I think we're good. All right. 
Well, we are going to come back at some point and, and uh, record another episode. Um, I will be out of town next week, so probably not next week. Yes, I'm going on another trip. Like, this is just my life now. Um, Sue I'm me. Traveling the world, yeah. Um, so I'll be out of town next week. We probably won't record while I'm until I get back. Um, but after I get back, we'll probably record at some some other point and just kind of keep keep the content rolling. If you guys yep. have questions, comments, concerns, feel free. In the meantime, send them to the longest email address known to man: basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Switched it up on you. Did that one first this time. Oh, yeah. Um, I was ready. Or you can send us an email. Uh, send us an email. Damn it. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, don't send us full emails on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, you want it somewhere else? They can find us on social medias. Yeah, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Go to homefieldapparel.com. That's right. Use the promo code GOACC at checkout. I'm wearing a homefield apparel shirt right now, Joey. Yeah. So if you use that GOACC promo code, you get 20% off your first orders. Go do that. Comfortable? Oh, yeah. I've, it I've never great. been more comfortable. Uh, yes. Yes. Definitely go do that. Shout out to shout out to Connor and the gang up there. Yep. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? I think we're good, man. You want to come back and record sometime soon? Yeah, we'll figure out content and that stuff, but yeah, we'll be back. Absolutely. All right, we will talk to you guys then. For Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.